Hey there, ladies and gentlemen, and thanks for joining us on The Great Exchange, a podcast dedicated to looking at the world through gospel glasses. My name is Maddie, and on the other side of the computer screen from me today, Nick Seminovich. How you doing, brother? I'm doing very well this day. Uh, when this comes out, I'm enjoying a weekend away, so this will be great. So. Yes, yeah, no, exactly. And tell tell the listeners why you're enjoying that weekend away, because you, you reached a very important milestone in your life. Yes, I got married a year ago and couldn't take a, you know, a much needed honeymoon. So we've reached one year now, and uh, we're getting away for the weekend. So the needs only growing. <laughs> the needs only <laughs> growing. You've been locked down. Locked down. Literally yeah. locked down almost the entire time since uh, since we got married last year. So. Thankfully, Leah and I will be getting away for the weekend and enjoying some of God's beautiful creation. Awesome. Yeah, Mo and I were able to do that um, last weekend. We went up to her parents' cottage in Clear Lake, so that was really a good time, really a blast. So that was a wonderful experience, and happy anniversary to you and Leah. I feel that, Thank like... Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it was a huge blessing to get to that milestone with Mo, uh, you know, uh, not too long ago. Well, I guess, actually... More than half a year ago, because time is <laughs> flying by. But nevertheless, uh, I know how important that is. So it's good to celebrate those moments, and I'm glad you're getting away. And yeah, um, I'm glad that before you get away, uh, you, we can record this podcast. So then we have one to release while you're living it up. So um, congratulations again for, for that one-year anniversary. Um, and before we get into the text today, I just want to remind people, go over to thegreatexchange.ca, check out are in are a bunch of the the episodes we have on there um as well as some of the merchandise that we have that is supposed to be done in the at least the um the sample phase this week so hopefully we can get a look at that uh, make some of the changes if need be and then hopefully we'll have it out to you guys in a few weeks tops uh so then we can get that ordering underway and everything and we can get that merch in your hands. So thegreatexchange.ca, check out all we got going on there. We have two episodes each and every week, and you can subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast catcher you want to listen to. And we have a really convenient player on our website as well if you want to go over there. It's right at the top that you can listen and enjoy. But we have a ton of text before us today, Nick, because we are trying to get through all 32 verses of the 32nd chapter of Genesis. Um, and it's got two kind of distinct stories, but all within the context of the aftermath of Jacob leaving Laban and his household. Um, why, Nick, was Jacob so eager to get out of the land of Laban and under his care? Well, I think the main reason, well, there's probably several reasons why he wanted to leave, not just because Laban was a terrible, you know, father-in-law and, you know, his swindler at best, you know, as we could name him, but he had a great desire to get back home, see his mother and his father, get back to that promised land and see where, God's fulfillment of his promises would come to pass in his life as well. So there's great hope and expectation for him to get back to the land of Canaan, to the land of his fathers, to the land of promise. 
So he was excited, ready to go. It just happened to be 20 years from when he first left and then ended up going back there. So much longer uh, than I think he was hoping for and expected as well. Yes, certainly, certainly. So that's where we pick up. That's where we find ourselves at the start of chapter 32 of the book of Genesis with Laban after cutting a covenant with, sorry, Jacob after cutting a covenant with Laban, they now are separated. They're divided off from each other. And Jacob now sets out on that journey home to the land of his father, Isaac, um, and the land also of Abraham. So the two main parts of the text we're going to see today are Jacob fleeing from Laban, going home to his his land of his family, the fear and dread of his brother Esau, considering what has happened between them in the past, and then this wonderful account of Jacob wrestling with the living God. So we get to see those two things play out here, and... Lord willing, we'll be able to get through the entire text of this really, really neat chapter of Genesis. So let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 32, and let's read through verse 8 to begin with. So it reads as follows. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him, the flocks and herds and camels, into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. Yeah, so here we get into the passage. Laban has now returned back to his land. He's left Jacob and all of his possessions in the wilderness here, returning to the land of Canaan. And what we see here at the beginning of this chapter is that divine angelic protection for Jacob and his family. We see God protecting him through the means of a host of angelic messengers as well. And this is something that we've seen throughout Scripture that comes up a couple other times as well, where there is either a specific one, there's one specific angel of the Lord sent to protect the people of God. You think about when Joshua is presented with that man and he's asked, well, whose side are you on? Are you on my side or on the Lord's side? Whose side are you? And he says, or are you on their side or our side? And he says, neither. I'm on the Lord's side. So we see in this here, this text, we see that God is providing protection for 
Jacob as he promised he would as he returns back to his homeland. And in that moment when Jacob's eyes are opened, again, he makes a great, great declaration. He says, this is God's camp. Before, when he left the land of Canaan to go to Laban, he, saw, he found out that, oh, God is in this place and I didn't even realize it. And now again, he's come to that realization. Now, this is where God is. God is dwelling amongst us. He is here protecting us. He is here for us once again. So he called the name of that place Machaneum, as you were kind of yeah. back and tried, tried to get that, you know, really throaty Hebrew kind of uh, <laughs> pronunciation. Yeah. I probably yeah. didn't do it justice, but yes, that is... I don't think we ever will. So. Yeah, that is the name, <laughs> and, it, and it means two camps, and I think it's illustrative of... The change in Jacob, as you've made mention, he understands now that God is with him, that he has seen him through his entire sojourning in the land of Laban, right? We see that in chapter 28, upon his journey, he's met by the angel of the Lord. And now leaving that land, he is met by the the, the same angel. So going in and going out of that sojourning, God is sending his messengers to Jacob that he might know that God is truly with him, the God of his fathers, Isaac and Abraham, the living God, the triune God of the cosmos. And what great courage that would give him, knowing that he has a long journey before him, ahead of him, and knowing that he is returning to this land where he fled in in difficult circumstances, shall we say. He fled yeah. in obscurity and really while being at enmity with his brother Esau, his bigger, stronger, more manly brother Esau. And he really did so deceitfully. So I could understand why he would have some reticence to actually go home to make this journey. Yeah. Yet, I think Mahatnam is is an apt name for the place where he sojourns because not only does, as we see in the text, he divide his camp into two to flee Esau, but he knows that his camp is joined with the host of heaven. Yeah. And there's something really interesting about that as well, because after receiving this angelic visit sort of that takes place here, we see that when Jacob left first off, when he first left the land of Canaan to go to Laban, what did his mother tell him? His mother told him, go to my brother's house, go to Laban's place, and I will send for you once Esau's anger is abated. Once he is no longer wanting and desiring to kill you. Well, it's been 20 years and that word has not come. There's no indication from the text that that has come. All that we see from the text and the reason why Jacob is returning is because the Lord told him to go back as well. So we see that he's he's been given divine instruction to return. So when we get to verse 3 here, we see Jacob sending messengers before him to Esau because he wants to find out if he still wants to kill him or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I like I I think it's very interesting too to see the really humble 
manner in which Jacob gets his messengers to address Laban. He comes back in a spirit of humility, not holding these covenant promises over the head of his brother, but in a spirit of compassion and a spirit of humility, he pleads to his brother to receive him as as that, a brother, um, and to also know that the Lord's blessed him by adding to him abundantly as he sojourned in the land of their uncle Laban. And, you know, when he uses language like, address my Lord, that me, his servant, is coming back to him and, and give him warning. Um, and I'm not surprised he sent messengers in before him, lest he invoke the anger of his brother. But then those messengers return and the news that they report back to Jacob is certainly not good news because it's not, oh, your brother's coming out to see you, to give you a handshake, to give you a pat on the back. No, he's coming and 400 of his men with him, which, what does that kind of signify? Well, that does signify that maybe... Esau is looking to overtake Jacob and to take from him um, by force, which is kind of what the text suggests to us. And that is what really precipitates this fear of Jacob that causes him to say, okay, I need to devise a plan if my brother Esau decides that he's going to hurt me. I'm going to provide for my family by splitting the tribes and by splitting the camp in half that if Esau potentially attacks us if he attacks one camp the other one can flee and vice versa yeah and it's really interesting about this text as well because as I read it it brought me some similar uh, stories from the Bible that can be brought up in relation to it as well you think about for the israelites as they are to enter into the land of promise when their spies are sent out into that land they bring back you know a report about the land oh yeah it's flowing with milk and honey but we're outnumbered there's these big fortified cities we don't have a chance let's not go in let's let's stay back and the people did that very thing they didn't obey the voice of the lord in contrast to that, what we see here is when this news is brought forth that, hey, you're going back. Uh, yeah, Esau's coming to meet you, but he's also brought like his army with him. And you're greatly outnumbered here. You got, you know, a bunch of kids, two wives, two <laughs> maidservants, and a bunch of cattle and some other servants. You don't have a chance here, man. What does Jacob do? Does he do what the Israelites did and shrink back? Or does he say... Well, we need to press forward. God told me to go. He's provided with me with this visitation from uh, his messengers so that I can gain confidence to walk forward in obedience. Or do or I say, well, I got all those wonderful things from God, but I'm just not sure. And I'm going to pull in Israel, Israelites in the wilderness and say, no, we'll just stay here. We'll just, we'll not obey. We'll, we'll stay back. Mm -hmm. And 
we get to is... yeah we get to see his response in in the following verses which is truly remarkable right yeah and that's the thing that i think is important to really point out in this text is there's such a contrast between jacob here and israel as they are going into the promised land but also how we see that there's a greater connection in this portion of the story as well to even Christ as he is going to go to the cross, right? He is faced with the greatest harm that will come to him, which is suffering under the wrath of God. And knowing that's going to happen, he doesn't shrink back. He doesn't turn back. He says, no, I'm going to face that for the salvation of my people, holding on to the promises my father gave me, that after I suffered a while, I'll be resurrected in glory. So there's all these wonderful shadows that we're getting to see here, finding their ultimate fulfillment in Christ. And what I love about Jacob's response here is he sees the situation and assesses it rightly, right? I am going to split up so that if harm does come, at least we, some of us can escape. So he's seeking to protect that, which is part of his property here. Mm -hmm. But in verse nine through 12 is more important than him separating his camp into two because nine through 12 here is where the true heart and intentions of his motives have to come from first. So I think that's wise that we see that as we get into the rest of the text. And, And this is a perfect example too, Nick of a man who gets his priorities right. We've talked over and over again as we walk through Genesis. We see the patriarchs get in big trouble when they're so earthly focused. They're of no heavenly good. And we've talked over and over again where you need to have that focus, that gospel focus, that that good worldview that is is built on faith. And you need to look through the lens of faith and and the you need to assess the situation based off the promises of God and not on the current horizontal situation that you find yourself in. So we yeah. get to see that example, as you may mention, in verses 9 through 12, which reads as follows. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country, to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all these deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan. And now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I surely, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Oh, do I love that. I, yeah. There's so much that I love about this. I love that he addresses God in covenantal language, right? He points back to the covenant that he's made with Abraham. He points back to the covenant he's made with Isaac. You know, he's claiming the the name of the covenant Lord Yahweh. He's saying, thank you, Lord, (laughs) for being with me. 
this needy, helpless servant. Thank you for giving me grace to get through this. And he claims the promise that he has given him over and over to himself. And that's exactly what I mean by keeping in mind the promises of God and living in light of those promises, even if the reality of the situation does not seem to comport with the promise of God, we know that those promises are steadfast. Yeah, it's wonderful to see Jacob here basically pleading with God for the promises that he's made. And in it as well, it's very interesting going back to chapter 28 where God appears to Jacob in the wilderness. He has that wonderful dream and God makes him that promise that I will keep you wherever you go and I'll bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. But what we, when we talked about that chapter, we saw Jacob kind of making that little bargain with God as well at the end of the chapter where he says, well, if God will be with me and keep me in this way I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And what we see happen in this text is God provided for Jacob above and beyond what he even asked for in that bargain of his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God abundantly provided for him because what does he say? I, with only my staff, crossed the Jordan, mm-hmm. and now I've become two camps. He, God's gone way above and beyond what he could have ever hoped or dreamed of. Yeah. All he hoped was that, okay, as long if I'm going, you'll protect me, provide for me enough so that I can come back because i got to get back here. Well, now God has provided so abundantly for him that he is now not even able to be just by himself anymore. He wouldn't just come back with his staff and a full belly, but he has now a family, you know, wives and children and flocks and servants, and he has so much with him. The Lord has shown himself better than he could have imagined, better than what he asked for even, but there's still that returning to your country in peace, right? God said he would return him to that country, to that land, and he would not be finished with him until he's fulfilled it all. And now Jacob is pleading with God with what he told him before he left or entered into the land of Laban. And also before now he heads back as well. I will be with you. I'll protect you. And now we see Jacob here saying, well, Esau's there. And I'm still afraid because I've never heard word that he has ever changed his intentions or his hearts or his attitude towards me. And I'm terrified that he is still full of rage and fury against me. So Lord, you said you would bring me back in peace. So keep your word to this part as well. Not just for the physical aspects of providing for me with food and drink and clothing and family, but also to keep me and preserve me alive so that I know for sure that you are able as God who's sovereign over all, to do this very thing, especially in the threat of Esau with 400 men. He who is with God outnumbers that multitude, you know, abundantly. Yes, yeah. A a man with God against an entire 
you know, world is a majority. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing here in this text is that Jacob with God is the majority. Esau with his 400 men in a, in a, just a bat of an eye, they'd be gone. Yeah. And Jacob just wants to be sure that God truly is this God that can even handle a situation like this. Mm-hmm. And why shouldn't he have confidence, right? He certainly should have confidence because God has proved himself faithful, covenantly faithful. said that's the word for steadfast love. That's God's covenant faithfulness, his redeeming faithfulness. He's been faithful to every promise thus far, and he's proven it in the fact that he's two camps. So obviously, if you've given me that promise and you've delivered more than I could imagine, I am going to claim that promise that that you have given me, that you have said you're also going to bring me home to my father's land in peace. And I think that's beautiful. He proceeds not like the Israelites, but his fear and trembling is well-placed. It's in the Lord and not in man. And that's why he moves forward in faithfulness. Question 77. What is required in the ninth commandment? Answer. The ninth commandment requireth the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man, and of our own and our neighbor's good name, especially in witness-bearing. Do you love listening to The Great Exchange? You can subscribe to our podcast on any one of these podcast platforms, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts, and have two engaging episodes delivered to your mobile device each week. Our midweek message covers a myriad of topics and teaches us to look at them all through gospel glasses. And our Scripture Saturday episode is just that, an opportunity to study the Bible one passage of Scripture at a time. Miss an episode? Visit our website, thegreatexchange.ca, and you will find the complete back catalog of our episodes. And don't be shy. We love to hear from you, our listeners. Send us a message on Facebook or Instagram, or if you're not social media savvy, send us an email to thegreatexchangepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all for joining in our ministry as we help you look at the world through gospel glasses. And that's a really good point as well, because when you think about the Israelites going into the promised land, when they refused to and God brought a plague upon the people, they said, oh, we'll go up now. God didn't go with them. They didn't seek the Lord first before they took action. And they were destroyed again and humiliated before those foreign nations. And here we see Jacob doing the responsible and godly thing in seeking the Lord before he took any other steps forward. Even as Moses said, if you do not go before us, we're like we're done. If you forsake us and we go on our own, your, your name is going to be defiled amongst the nations and, and we're done. You need to go before us. And here Jacob is pleading the same thing. Go before me, protect me from Esau, change Esau's heart if there's any way so that I can be part of that covenant faithfulness and continue to live in your promises. Yeah. And I just, I, it's also like, I know we should probably move in, but I just love the language of, I am not worthy of the grace that you have shown me, of that steadfast love that you've shown me. And I think that is the true mark 
of a changed person is when we have a true encounter with the living God, we understand fully the holiness and righteousness of God and our own unrighteousness, our own unworthiness. And we understand that God sheds his covenant steadfast love upon us not for our sake but his name's sake and yeah i think that's just a beautiful thing that we you know so far removed from jacob can still take great hope in is though we are indeed the the deceitful ones the murderers the guilty the uh, liars the cheats Though we have checkered paths and broken histories, that the God of all faithfulness, if we come to him in the spirit of humility, will accept us in this sort of beautiful way. And I think that's just something I want to highlight before we move on. Yeah, and I think that is a really good thing to bring up before we do move on, because Jacob really sees that everything he has is a gift from God. And that's exactly what uh, James says in his letter, right? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change, right? So Jacob is seeing that there's this consistent character in God, and there's also this great chasm between him and God as well. Because God is holy, and he is not. Mm -hmm. He is sinful, as you make mention as well. But the fact that God is showing him mercy and grace in this moment highlights the fact that God is gracious and merciful to those who are least deserving of it, which is truly all of us. But we forget the kindness of God when we start saying that we deserve things. The things that I have, I've earned by my own sweat and my own wisdom but that's wrong and jacob here doesn't take that approach even as he gained all this flock even as he gained this family from the land of laban as well he recognizes this is all from the sovereign hand of god yeah and and just on this point of the great chasm as you've made mention between man and god you posted a great spurgeon quote on our facebook page on our instagram check that out the great exchange you can check us out on those platforms and the quote says the law and we know the law is a reflection of the character of god right it's the reflection of god's righteousness right so the law shows the distance that exists between god and man the gospel bridges that awful chasm and brings the sinner across it and that's Mm -hmm. the grace of god the covenant faithfulness of god that Jacob is experiencing now and that old people who in humility like Jacob in this moment turn and place their trust in the Lord he will through his gracious nature (laughs) regard them as righteous for all those who approach him in that spirit and I think that's a beautiful thing because that's the opposite attitude of what Romans 1 lays out when it talks about the wrath of God abiding on all men. Yeah. They refuse to give acknowledgement to the God of all power, to the God of all providence. Well, Jacob now understands that all things are from his merciful hand. And that's a beautiful thing to behold. Moving on. 
Verse 13. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau, and moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterwards I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So, The present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. Yeah, so as we get into this portion of the text, we see that Jacob, though he makes that wonderful prayer and pleading with God for his protection and faithfulness to his covenant promises, we see that Jacob still acts out of a concern for the well-being not only of himself but of his family because what he's doing here not is he just trying to appease his brother Esau but he's truly showing by his actions that what he has isn't really his he's not holding it with such a firm grip that he's unwilling to give up anything so that he might still find himself within that covenant promise of God He's not saying the riches that I've I've received here are so attached to me that I can't part with them. He's saying I'm willing to part with these things because this might be how God fulfills his promises. He's still acting in obedience and also wisdom because when the first word came to Esau, your brother Jacob's coming to meet you or your servant, Jacob, I should say, is coming to meet you. He finds out, well, he's coming with 400 men. Okay, well, that didn't work. I'm going to plead with God that he would remain faithful, but I'm also going to use the things that God has given me, the gifts that God has given me, as a means to appease my furious brother. And to show once again that as he sees how the Lord has blessed me, I'm still going to be behind him. And I think that's very crucial to this text in that as Jacob divides up his flocks to to provide this great present, he says to each group, Jacob is coming, Jacob is coming, Jacob is coming. And lo and behold, what's going to happen? Is Jacob going to be there or is he just saying, well, yeah, Jacob's coming, but he's actually taking off in the other direction because he's so fearful and afraid of you, Esau. No, he says, I'm going to remain faithful to my word and I'm coming. 
because God has promised. So he's being faithful to his word and living in the promises of God as well by taking this great abundance of his flock that he has been given while he was in the land of Laban there. And we see that he is willing to part with it all so that he might again be restored to his brother Esau in such a way that Esau wouldn't want to kill him, but also in such a way that Jacob could return to the land of his father so that he could again carry out his part in that covenant that God has made. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in here, certainly you see Jacob's imperfect faith. You certainly see his fear of his brother. Um, But I think it's a great point to point out, as you've made mention, that he didn't account this stuff as his. He was but a mere steward of the gifts that God had given him. So even this extravagant gift of some 550 different animals, right? That because they were both male and female, they could greatly reproduce into more, right? Um, This is an extravagant gift. And it just further highlights the fact that God has given him an amazing bounty that this is just the portion of the gift that he's giving him. Nevertheless, this tribute that he gives to his brother is kind of an expression of a servant giving to a superior. And I think it gets at the heart of the underlying guilt that Jacob feels over the way that he has acted towards Esau. I think it goes beyond just a mere fear of his life at this point. I think Jacob, with a tender, softened heart, can look back and painfully remember just how he got into this situation. He can painfully remember how he has treated his brother in the past. And this is a gift not just to appease him, but to make amends with his brother, that they might be restored to fellowship in some manner and i think that's a beautiful thing to see because again it's just showing the transformation of jacob's character in this text and it's showing that as he's so often throughout his life been okay with being the deceiver He now has the pangs of conscience that comes with a truly repentant soul. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you can definitely see that there has been great transformation in Jacob because when he left and even before in the exchange that took place to take Esau's birthright and the blessing, there was no picture of God really in that story whatsoever. And you can really see how in his 20 years of exile, away from his family, he's so been transformed by God's faithfulness to him that we see him really wanting to make that amends, as you make mention. Because as as is the case, I should say, in the life of anybody who comes to Christ, who receives that blessing and grace from him, they're willing to make up, not make up, but to 
reconcile with those whom they may have wronged. You think about even, um, oh, why can't I remember his name now? The little guy, the tax collector, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you think about that story there where Jesus comes and, and calls to Zacchaeus and says, I'm, I want to stay in your house. I want to dine with you this evening. And Zacchaeus says, wow, of all that I have, I'm going to give back. And if I've wronged anybody, I'm going to give back again, even more. And in that story, you see how the grace of God being poured into a person's life shows itself in thankful and grateful service towards other people as well. And also that spirit of reconciliation. We've been reconciled to God. He's been reconciled to us. But now as we have those relationships that have been fractured because of sin, we want to make those right as well. Sin will always destroy. Sin has no intentions of reconciliation or building things up. It only wants to destroy. But as we see the mercy and love of God poured into us, freely by his gracious gift, that same gift of grace and mercy we want to pour out into others as well so that they can see this covenant God that we are now in relationship with. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of the situation is this parade, the, this coronation that goes before, or this procession, sorry, not coronation, this procession that goes before Jacob is... God's means of providentially providing this scenario where Jacob is now alone in the camp by himself with the procession before him. He spends the night in the camp. And that same night, the text says, starting in verse 22, he arose and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the, Le- of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And it's at this point that the Lord graciously condescends to meet Jacob. And it says, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. But Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of his thigh. Yeah, so... This is one incredible portion 
of the book of Genesis here once again. Mm-hmm. And we see here at the beginning of this section here, Jacob, after he separates out all his flocks and all that he cares for, and then also his family here into those two camps as well, we see that he's left alone. He has departed from all the things that God has blessed them with, and he is back to that state that he was when he left the land of Canaan, when he left his father's household. And I think this is important for setting this up as well, because we, just like Jacob, have to be willing to depart from all the things he has given us so that we will have more of God. What did Jacob need most in this situation? Did he need his provisions? No, they could have all been taken away from him. Were they going to help him in this situation? No. All the things that God provided for him would be of no service ultimately if God is not with him. So in this moment, we see Jacob being stripped away from all his possessions, all the things God has blessed him with, so that he can have a greater experience and a greater a revelation of how God is with him in this very trying circumstance. Yeah, certainly. And it's, it is truly a remarkable story because here we see a clear theophany, right? We see God condescending, taking on human form, but not only that, but accommodating his strength in this fight, right? We know that God is omnipotent. And you get a glimpse of the strength that he has at the end of this wrestling match, right? They struggle throughout the night to the break of day. And then at the at the break of the at the dawn when the daylight is coming, the man, seeing he had not prevailed against Jacob, he, all he did was simply touch his hip and put it out of place. <laughs> so you get yeah. to see this amazing strength, right, uh, that the man has. Yet in struggling in this way, we're seeing it's symbolically this battle, this struggle that Jacob has had with faith in God, battling against God and Yet, um, though he has been wounded, though many bad things have happened, and though he doesn't come out of the battle totally, um, totally free, totally fine without brokenness, we see that through faith and, and perseverance and continually clinging onto the Lord, Jacob prevails by faith. Yeah, that's a really good point to make because though we see this wonderful strength of of God here, just you know, just touching his hip socket, what really highlights as well for for us is that perseverance of Jacob as well, his unwillingness to give up, that he's going to hold on and struggle. And, and this is a testimony to what he's done for the last 20 years so far. He struggled with Laban for seven years to get Rachel. Then he had to struggle another seven years to actually get Rachel, right? Mm-hmm. 
and then another six years for the flocks so that his family would be taken care of. And now that everything is stripped away, we see that, okay, if it's just me that's left and it's just me and God, am I going to give up or am I going to strive? Am I going to persevere even as I struggle with God? Or am I going to do like so many people do this way? This is really difficult. God's putting me through a ringer. I'm done and I'm out. Mm-hmm. That's not what Jacob does here. He, no. he does the exact opposite. He does what a lot of us are afraid to do, which is to press into God more when the circumstances are very, very difficult. And that's what we see in this text here that Jacob is doing. He's pressing further into God when all things are against him, when the circumstances are now life and death from his perspective. Mm-hmm. He is not willing to give up. He's not willing to give up his, his faithful obedience to God. He's willing to wrestle with him until he is blessed by him. Mm-hmm. He's not saying, well, you're not part of the picture anymore. I'm out. I'm gone. We're going to go find my own way. I'll go find my own gods. Where's Rachel with those gods, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Here's the only option I have, which is the living God who rules over all things, and I'm going to strive with him until I receive his blessing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's truly remarkable. He places his hope in the only source of hope from whence his hope comes, which is the Lord, the covenantly faithful Lord, who's so gracious to condescend in this way to meet Jacob in his time of need and to accommodate to him. And we know that God does that with his beloved covenant family members, right? If we are part of the covenant community of God, we will at times wrestle with the Lord. We will be chastised by him. We at times might feel true and real pangs and and feel the brokenness of this fallen creation just as Jacob leaves with a you know a busted hip just just as his leg will forever bear the marks of this this wrestling match we know ultimately though though we are scarred though we are broken in this world though we are chastised by the lord the ultimate end of those who strive with god and prevail through faith is the blessing of God upon us, right? And that's the beauty of the part of this text where Jacob gets christened by a pre-incarnate Christ himself. He gets a, a new name. He's no longer Jacob the deceiver. He is now Israel, the one who has striven with both God and man and has prevailed that is a beautiful name to be given and one that truly encapsulates Jacob's story and I just it's just truly remarkable and and again you see Jacob's habit of of renaming places where he encounters God or where he encounters different covenants and naming it after covenants. And he calls the name Peniel and it, because it means I have seen God face to face. And he understands, though, though he has come to face face to face with God, 
he has been delivered. And that is by the mercy of God, because lest he thought through the power of his own earthly strength, he strived with this man and prevailed. He understood when his hip was knocked out of place by the mere touch of the man, that it was completely and utterly by the mercy of God incarnate, that he could stand before God and men and persevere. Yeah, and what a wonderful picture that we get here at the end of how the people of Israel, who are descended from Jacob, now renamed Israel, would perpetually be remembering how God had mercy upon him, that they had a remembrance in their feasting, that they would not partake of a single part of it, so that they would remember what took place at this date and time, where God came down in humility to bless sinful man. And I can't help, as I read all these texts, to see all the correlations that come from the rest of Scripture. And I get so excited about this because <laughs> you have this part here, right, where they don't eat the, uh, the sinew of the thigh that's on the hip socket because of this. Well, then you get into when Israel is being led, or just before they're led out of Egypt into the wilderness, what are they given? The Passover meal to be given in remembrance time and time again of God's deliverance, just as this was a, a meal to remember God's deliverance of Jacob, highlighting ultimately in the Lord's Supper, where Jesus goes and suffers on our behalf, where we have the bread and the wine now, part of this commemorating feast of what Christ has done on our behalf, foreshadowing ultimately the greater deliverance that we have yet to come to. And that's what all these stories, all these pictures get us really to, is not just to look at Jacob and go, wow, look at Jacob. He strove with God, and now he's named Israel. Well, no, we have to look at the true Israel, which is Christ, mm -hmm. who strove truly with God and man to the point of death and died on a cross, but then was raised and blessed and given a name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth to the praise of God the Father. That's what this story gets us to. It gets us to Christ so that we might rejoice in him and the great deliverance and the great sufferings he went to for our redemption so that we could return to the promised land, so that we could return to that promised inheritance that we have yet to receive, so that we can live with God forever. And what greater joy is there than that? Jacob here strove with God for a night, but he lives with him for all time. And as we might have to struggle and suffer much in this life, we know that there's a wonderful inheritance waiting for us because God in Christ has prevailed against sin and Satan and the flesh so that we can have our ultimate deliverance and return to God. And what greater thing is there to get to from all of Scripture than Christ? Because it's all about Him. Yeah. Well, there's no greater way to end a program, Nick, than by highlighting the fact that the Bible, though being a diverse library of 
books is united by a scarlet thread that joins each and every page of scripture and namely that thread is Jesus Christ and we did a past podcast this last week on Wednesday about bibliology and the beauty of the unity and diversity of God's word his faithfulness in transmitting transmitting it uh, from generation to generation and, and preserving it for us that we might millennia later be able to sit in front of this computer screen and talk about God's continued hased to his people. And I think that's so beautiful. It's so wonderful. If you want to check out that episode, it might have some things that you can learn from it, you can take from it. It really lays out the doctrine of scripture and why we believe what we do about the Bible. Um, So check that out at thegreatexchange.ca. And we really hope you're enjoying our walk through the book of Genesis. If you want to get other episodes, again, they're over on our website at thegreatexchange.ca. Brother Nick, thank you so much. That blessed my soul. Just you you preaching. Uh, if I had a Hammond uh, keyboard, I would have been laying on the keys. But uh, <laughs> because I don't know how to play it, it would have just been random nonsense. But um, anyways, I really, really, I, I am blessed by getting to go through this text with you each and every week. And it is truly a blessing to see how the Lord, through the power of his spirit, speaks unto us and how we can minister the word to ourselves. And hopefully our listeners all also get great benefit from it as well. So if you do, definitely go over to your favorite podcast checker uh, catcher subscribe rate and review and you'll get all our podcasts um so we really appreciate you tuning in but as we say at the end of every podcast nick it is finished